Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet on Sundays at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, who doesn't? You can select Beacon Church of Long Island as a supporting organization and a small portion of every purchase will go to supporting the work at Beacon. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So we made it through the holidays, right? It's the new year. The holidays are over. We're getting back in the groove. And I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I really do. Hope your New Year's was great. Hope your Christmas was great. Now, the holidays are great for building memories and kind of looking back. Holidays are also usually good for something else. Holidays are usually good for at least a couple of awkward moments. Did you have any awkward moments during the holidays this year? Like, did you make a special treat and bring it to someone's house that didn't quite work out? Or did anyone bring some special treat to your house that wasn't really that good? Or, you know, getting gifts is always kind of a fun dynamic, right? Like someone gives you a gift and you open it and you're like, wow, thanks. You couldn't just click the link that I sent you. You had to buy me this. Thank you so much. Or you just pick something out for someone that you know is so special and perfect and they open it and you can tell by the look on their face, you're thinking, wow, I should have just clicked the link on the thing that they sent to me. And it's just a little bit awkward, right? Or sometimes, you know, Uncle Creepy shows up for Christmas Eve dinner and you're like, wow, no one thought you were going to come or whatever. And there's all these awkward moments that happen around the holidays. Now, some awkward moments really cannot be redeemed, right? Like, it's so fun because we talked about this obviously in the first service and then people started telling me some of their awkward moments. You know, it's like an awkward moment, like someone comes up to you and they say, hey, it's great to see you again. And you say, I don't remember you. And then it's just like, nope, you're done. There's no way to progress past that point, right? Or it's like when you're walking and someone that you, you're not sure if you know them, they wave and then you're like, hey, and then you realize, oh, there's someone behind me that they actually know that's really, that's who they're waving to. You're like, this is awkward. But there are other awkward moments that are a little bit different. There are some awkward moments that are like trying out a new piece of equipment at the gym or going on a first date, or maybe a job interview can be very awkward, or maybe you're trying new food out in front of other people. These are the types of awkward moments that we face that actually are an opportunity, because if we can push through that awkwardness, we can be somewhere that we've never been before. So if you're trying to get in shape this year, you'll probably need to do things you've never done before. The first time you do it, it's going to be super awkward. You need to do it anyway. If you want to meet someone, but you're not willing to go on a first date, guess what? You will never meet anyone, right? I mean, dating is a cruel, cruel game. If you're lucky, you win it once. But if you're not willing to do first dates, you'll never meet anybody. There's a type of awkwardness that we have to be able to push through in order to begin to realize potential. There's this tension between awkwardness and forward motion. And that's what this series 
is about. Because we're talking about a series called Uncomfortable, where we unpack the awkward and essential challenge of Christian community. And we're going to talk about this for the next couple of months. And by community, of course, we mean this sense of togetherness and a family and connectedness that can be such an important part of who we are as a church. So I wanted today to study, actually, from the book of Psalms, looking to some of the poetry of the Bible. So take a Bible, if you would, and turn to Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We would love to get one in your hand. I would love it if everyone had one today. We're going to read the entire Psalm, the whole thing. And so you're going to want to have the text in front of you as we read through it. The Psalms are unique, of course, in the Scripture because of their poetic nature. There are a few books that are poetry, and the Psalms is the height of that. Every single Psalm is Hebrew poetry. And so as we unpack it and as we go through it, we have to always remember that we're reading poetry which is different than, you know, prose or, you know, instruction or different things. Because poetry, of course, is full of images and pictures. And so we're going to look at the pictures here in Psalm 133. This is part of an interesting collection of psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. It might even say that in your Bible, that this is a song or a psalm of ascent. Ascent, of course, means going up. And what they mean by that in this context is um, Jerusalem, the most holy city in Israel, was actually in a little bit of higher terrain than the surrounding area. And the temple itself, which was later built in Jerusalem, was also built in a high part of town. So to go up means to go to Jerusalem and or to go up into the temple. And so these psalms were used by pilgrims who were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, holy and sacred feasts. And they were a picture of the ideal whether it was the ideal in worship or it was the ideal in community. So this is the poet writing a psalm that's for a celebration to talk about the ideal of what Christian and, you know, the, the community of faithful, they wouldn't have called themselves Christians in those days, but of course, what the community of the faithful looks like in its entirety. So let's look at Psalm 133. We're going to read the entire thing, which of course is three verses. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. From there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. So this is a beautiful picture here written in poetry of what the ideal community looks like. In verse 1, it says how good and pleasant it is when God's people, in the old version, said dwell. Yours probably says live. Some of them say abide. Because this Hebrew word that's here is a word of permanent connection, of permanent location, to really remain in something, to reside there, to be almost entrenched in it. It's not at all temporary, and it's not at all accidental. It's an intentionality to say how beautiful and perfect it is when God's people say, we are connected together as one in a permanent and lasting way. Because to live together doesn't always mean that you're perfectly united, right? I mean, you may have had a roommate at some point in your life, and you may or may not have even been friends with that roommate. You can live with people and be, not be connected to them. So it's not simply cohabitation. It's intentional Willful connection. And then we get two beautiful pictures that explain this beauty. The first one is there in verse 2 where it says, It is precious oil poured on the head, running down 
on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, the collar of his robe. Culturally, this is not something that we experience. Probably no one in your life, Harley, has poured oil on your head until it ran down your beard. What is he talking about? He's talking about the priests who in those days were set aside. They were special. They were God's special people who did special ministry on his behalf. And the way that a priest would be you know, kind of inaugurated and started into their ministry is first they would have a period of purification where they would be set apart. There would be special sacrifices to atone for their sins. Then they would be prayed over and they would be anointed with oil. That oil would be poured onto them in a very liberal way so that it would really cover their head and their face and their clothes. And this was a very hot, dry environment, so that oil would also be very soothing and be very calming. And it was a, a visible symbol of the anointing of God. In fact, in the Old Testament, the oil of anointing is also the most common metaphor for the Holy Spirit. So when a priest has had the oil poured on his head, it was only men in those days, when the priest had the oil poured on his head so that it ran down his body, that was the sign to the community, this person has been anointed, has been empowered for God's ministry. And so the first picture we have from the poet says, when people are united in perfect Christian community, it empowers them to go out and to be God's people. Let me go to verse 3. He says, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Zion. Again, culturally, this is a little bit lost from us, but this is Mount Hermon, present day. This is what it looks like pretty much all year long. Mount Hermon is in the Middle East. It, in, it present day is right on the border between Syria and Lebanon. Its peak is about 9,000 feet high. And then as you come down the mountain, that part does extend into the northeast corner of Israel. And in those days, as it is now, the Middle East was a hot place. I went through the Middle East this uh, summer on a layover. I was there for like 12 hours. I went outside the airport. It was 113 degrees at 3 o'clock in the morning with like 90 plus percent humidity. You could see the air. You could feel it. It was a very hot, hot place. So if you're in that environment, to look at a snow-capped mountain is beautiful and inviting. Do you have any of these family or friends, they come in here from out of town, and they're like, I really hope while I'm in New York that it snows. <laughs> and you're thinking, I really hope that it doesn't snow while you're here. Or maybe the first snow of the year is kind of charming. Like, oh, it snowed. It's so nice. But then if you're still shoveling in March, you're like, that is enough of the snow. But that would, be, that would not be their attitude at all. In fact, the snow of Mount Hermon, as it would run off and it would melt, that became the Jordan River, which both physically and culturally, was a centerpiece of Israel. And that's even where Jesus was baptized. So the poet was saying, you know Mount Hermon, which by the way, even to this day has a ski resort? You know all that snow, all that dew, all that water? Imagine if that water was here in Jerusalem. Imagine how great it would be. It would replenish us. It would soothe us. And so the dew of Hermon is a picture to say that when God's people dwell together in Christian fellowship and community, it is replenishing. It refills that which has been lost, that which has dried up. Then the big finish says, for there, in that place of, not on the mountain, there is referring 
to the people living in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. So what is the chain? He's very clearly said, living together in perfect unity is where you find the Lord's blessing, where you find eternal life. That's how important, how critical the subject of community really and truly is. And we're not just talking about regular friendship. We're talking about true Christian community. Because if you think about it, most of the relationships that you have in this life are based on two things. And this isn't a criticism. I think it's just a matter of how the world works. Most friendships are based on either a shared proximity or a shared interest. Okay? So if you're near people regularly, you will usually become friends with them. You're probably on friendly terms with most of your neighbors, whether they're in your building or on your block. You're probably on friendly terms with many of your coworkers. You're together. You're near each other on a regular basis. And so you get drawn into community. Some of your you know, closest friends in college were probably your roommates that you lived with. But what happens to relationships based in proximity is one person eventually moves. And usually at that point, the relationship starts to fade. Now, I know in the digital world, it's easy to maintain massive lists of acquaintances. But if you're talking about true, connected friends, it usually fades away once the shared proximity ends. That's why if you haven't seen someone in a few years, you get together over the holidays, sometimes you kind of run out of things to talk about and it gets awkward because your, your shared proximity is over. Or it can be based on shared interest. You might like the same sorts of things and so you become friends. I am a boater. All of the boaters know. As soon as we meet each other and we realize that we are both boaters, we are now boating buddies. We are instantly friends. Hey, where do you like to go? What do you like to do? How do you use your boat? Do you fish? Do you sail? Do you ski? And we talk about it. It's our shared interest. We can talk even if we've never met. We're friends on the spot. And oftentimes your friends are based on those shared interests. You know, you might like the same team. So, you know, all the friends of the, uh, you know, who love the Jets, they connect and they all come out and they mourn together. You know, where... <laughs> They might all like the Yankees, so they come out and they have their victory parties together or whatever it is because they have that shared interest. So, you're, you know, yours might be, you know, a team that you play on or whatever. You have that shared interest. But once your interests shift, you lose your connection point with those who are around you. So that is what's different because true, lasting Christian community is based in the person of Christ who never changes, who is always the same. He is the bedrock foundation of true Christian community. Ecclesiastes talks about it as a cord of three strands, which is you, them, and Jesus. To say, the friendship is based in him and him alone. That is what makes it true and lasting Christian community. And so when you're looking to grow in your faith, oftentimes people will talk about spiritual disciplines like prayer, reading the Bible. Those are great. I have nothing against those. Then sometimes they'll go to the next level and say, oh, you should also go to church. Or maybe you should even try fasting. Maybe you shouldn't just read the Bible. You should study it in depth. But a lot of people will not add fellowship, community to that list. And I believe strongly that we should. In fact, one of the religious groups who felt most sincere about this, believe it or not, were actually the Puritans. The Puritans who came over from England to the United States for religious freedom, they felt like this concept of Christian community was one of the critical you know, disciplines of the Christian life. And they had a word for it. They called it conference. 
we wouldn't call it conference. For us, conference is probably a meeting with the teacher that you don't even want to go to. I'm sorry, teachers, but you already knew. You know? Maybe a conference is something exciting that's for your business. You're going to fly to Chicago and you're going to stay there for two days and go out with your friends at night. A conference might be exciting. It might be a collection of universities that all play in the same league and it's that kind of a conference. That's not what they were talking about. Their conference was dedicated, focused time to sit and talk about the things of God. And they based the concept of conference in this verse from Malachi. So then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They knew that God was listening with the greatest of interest when people talked about him. He was there with them. And this prophet, he's also being poetic here, he's saying a scroll of remembrance. God never forgets what is said in the presence of his people in true community. And so they dedicated their lives to conference so that they could know that they were drawing closer to God in this way. And the purpose they put behind conference, they had a few stated goals. The first goal was soul care. The Puritans said if you were not a part of conference, you had an unattended soul. What a picture that is, an unattended soul. These days, a single unattended bag can shut down an airport, right? Something unattended is very dangerous. Puritan said, you will have an unattended soul if you're not participating regularly in conference. So you have soul care. They believed it was the path to biblical literacy, how you would get to know your Bible, and also what they called ministerial care, which is God's people caring for each other. Say, so wait, soul care, biblical literacy, ministerial care, isn't that why we're here? That's what this is for, right? That's why I come to Beacon. Eh, it's not the same. It's simply not the same. Large gathering worship and lecture is not really the key to growing in these areas. And any teacher in any field can probably tell you this. They might have had this experience. They're teaching on some subject, whether it's to a classroom, whether it's to a team because they're a coach, whether it's any sort of lecture for business or otherwise, and they've taken great care to teach what they feel is important. Then they'll meet with a smaller group of those same people. And they'll talk about the same stuff. They'll teach the same stuff. They'll tutor the same stuff. And inevitably, the student will say to them, wow, thank you for teaching this to me. I've never heard it like this before. And I'll tell you, I'll get you into the mind of the teacher a little bit. When you say that, I've never heard it like this before. The teacher wants to strangle you until your eyes pop out. Because you have heard it like that before, because they have taught it to you like that before. But it doesn't sink in in the same way. Experiencing a talk is not the same as sitting down and talking. It's incredibly different. One of the Puritans said it this way. I have found by experience that some ignorant persons, that's me, certainly not you, who have been so long unprofitable hearers have got more knowledge and remorse of conscience in half an hour's close discourse than they did from 10 years public preaching. Because learning by listening is simply not one of the most effective ways. We learn so much better in community when we're knit together and we grow up together. 
Now, this largely goes against what we've been told in our culture. What we've been told in our culture is, hey, if you want to grow, what you need to do is sequester yourself. Go somewhere alone. Go somewhere secret. Grow. Work out all of your stuff. Then come back when you're the newer, improved version of yourself. I mean, think of great fathers of our faith like Luke Skywalker. Okay? Where is Danny? Danny is not in here. Where did Luke Skywalker train? Anyone? Dagobah. On a different planet. He said, it's time to train. Chris knows. He knows. When it's time to train, he's going to go somewhere secret where no one can see him. He's going to train with someone who may or may not even exist. Then he's going to come back, the new, improved version of himself, and save the world. Another pillar of our faith. When Rocky had to fight the Russian, where did he train? Not, yes, in Russia. Not just Russia. Siberia. Literally went to like one of the most remote places on the earth. There he took Mick and Polly with him, of course, because that's what they do from Philly. Did killer sit-ups in the barn, carry the railroad tie outside, all that stuff. Trained in secret. Then he came back. Then he was ready to defeat the Russian. Right? Every cowboy story we've ever heard is the same. A lonely cowboy comes into town. He might come together with a couple other cowboys briefly. We don't want to get carried away. They take care of business, whatever was happening in this town. And then where do they ride off into? They go back into solitude. This is what we've been told. Hey, to become the best version of yourself, go train in secret. Come back when you have all your stuff fixed. That is every action movie. Do you know what it's called when you grow up in front of everybody? That's a sitcom, okay? That's the Wonder Years. That's Growing Pains. I mean, that's, nobody wants to go through that in front of everybody else. But we grow and learn from each other. We learn through such simple methods, but we have to do them. We actually learn a tremendous amount by talking, by talking things through. Have you ever had a question and you've been thinking about it for a while, then you finally decide to ask someone your question, and by the time you're done asking them your question, you know the answer. Just verbal processing so often helps us to realize what we're learning. You kind of organize your thoughts. You know, if you ever have to, you know, give any sort of a presentation, the first time you, you practice your presentation, you probably make massive edits because you're processing it out loud. This is why teams do good work together. Somebody comes in with an idea. They've been thinking about this idea for weeks. A team can talk about it, and after 15 minutes, the, the idea might be infinitely improved because people are processing as they speak. The psalmist talks about this too. He says, come in here, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. By talking, we process and we learn so much more effectively. But of course... If someone is talking, someone has to be listening, right? Because you know one awkward thing that we've kind of lost? We've lost the awkward pause. It's largely missing from communication. Researchers have looked into this, and they tell us that the average pause between speakers in a conversation is 200 milliseconds. So I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up. 200 milliseconds is one-fifth of a second. So if you take a second, you divide it into five pieces, one-fifth 
That is the average gap between speakers in a conversation. Researchers also tell us that is less time than you actually need to formulate what you're going to say. What does that mean? That means while you're still talking, while you're saying something incredibly important and insightful and probably even life-changing, while you're still talking, your listener has already tuned you out because they are preparing what they're going to say. So think about what that conversation is. It's not actually talking and listening. It's talking and talking and talking and talking. And if you're somewhat polite, you kind of take turns. If you're New Yorkers, there is no gap. You just kind of overlap it like this, right? Because we're not truly listening. And that's a big part of being in community. And we're going to unpack so many of these themes the next couple of months. Because when we're talking and we're truly listening, then we start to learn. And then we really learn, we really learn the calling of our faith by doing. And everyone knows this. You don't really know something until you can do it. And the call of the Christian life is largely based on community. And hear me out on this. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Ten commandments. How many of them are there? I think there's about ten. Six of them are about how you relate to God. The other four are about how you relate to everyone else. So without the concept of community, there would be six commandments. Most of the law of the Old Testament, first, is about how to atone for your sins, the sacrifices, and then the feasts and the festivals. All the rest is about how to live as God's people, how to treat each other. Think of the New Testament. Think of the fruits of the Spirit. What does a person who's growing in their faith look like? Well, they have love, joy, and peace. Those are great. Those are all internal. Those are all emotive. I love those. Then they have patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The other six require community in order for them to happen, okay? It is very easy for me to be patient when I am not around you. As soon as I am around you, it's hard for me to be patient. It's hard for me to be kind. It's hard for me to be gentle. And it's very hard for me to show self-control. But that's where we learn. We learn by doing. So when we are, are willing to begin to embrace the awkward, that is when our faith will truly start to grow. Because I would love to tell you that the point of this series is going to be, hey, we're telling you Christian community to be uncomfortable. And it's actually not. That's kind of a joke. Ha ha. Not really. There are always moments of awkwardness and discomfort that we have to push through in order to go to where God is calling us to do. That's why C.S. Lewis said it this way. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. <laughs> if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. That is true. If you're a guest here today, we really do want you to come back. I'm not trying to repel you. But... There is awkwardness that we have to be willing to move past in order to grow in the way that he's called us to. And I've seen it so many times. I just saw it recently at my small group. Back in, I think it was November, our small group, every small group had a night where the focus was on prayer. And we knew, hey, we weren't going to have the regular discussion that we do. We're actually going to have a time of pray, prayer, and everyone's going to pray. So this already causes ripples. Like, everyone's going to pray? Everyone's going to pray. Oh, boy. So I go to small group. Attendance is down at small group on prayer night. I was late 
And as I got there, I could not help the feeling that maybe some people in the small group were like, maybe one of the pastors won't come to small group on prayer night. Darn it, he's here. Then we started small group. And what did we do? We spent like a half an hour talking about how awkward this was going to be to pray out loud. And people are, I don't want to pray out loud. Then finally the leader said, it's time to pray. Then what happened? Everyone in our group prayed. And the same people who said they didn't know how to pray prayed wonderful prayers that were beautiful, that were deep and insightful. And they said, well, I'm not eloquent. Nobody showed off. They just prayed their hearts. And it was wonderful. We just pushed through that little bit of awkwardness into a new place of prayer that we had never been before as a group, never once. And you know what? I talked to a lot of the other small group leaders, and they all tell the same story because it happens every time we do this. If we're willing to push through the awkward, then our lives will truly change. So these are your next steps. First of all, you have to be in conference. You just do. Normally, we don't say have to and should because it, it creates barriers. I'm going to just say it. You should have to. You need to be in a conference. You need to be in a small group. We have them here at the church. This is the perfect time for you to be doing this because the groups reform this time of year. We take on new people. You should do it. I know why you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it because it's, and you don't have, but do you remember? Do you remember the arrow? Pursuing this is where we see God's blessing. It's where we see life forevermore. And you can push through and even embrace the awkward because it's only going to be awkward for like a quarter of the first time, okay? So man up, put on your big boy pants. You can totally do this. Come out, you need to be in a group, okay? Now, if you're already in a group, we didn't just waste 28 minutes of your time, okay? Because we also need to be pushing much deeper than that because for all of us, we need to grow in bringing Christ to the center of our conversations. Because simply being connected to people who go to your church is like, you know, almost there, and you're certainly on the right track, but you're not there. We need to get to the point that Jesus and his life and his work and his work in our lives is a basic, fundamental part of our conversations. This week I went out to dinner with some friends all of them have been Christians for a very long time. I was the youngest person at the table. I might even be the youngest person in the faith. I'm not sure. And at our dinner, it was maybe three hours. And probably four or five times in the course of three hours, it just kind of comes up. You know, I was just thinking about this thing that God has done in the lives of, of my grandkids. Or I'm thinking about this thing that God has done in the life of our church. Or I'm thinking about what God has done in my sister. And it just, it just comes up as part of what people are talking about. And here's the thing. I think for you, you often have those moments that you are experiencing blessing. And you know this is something that God is doing in your life. But then you think, I don't want to say that because it sounds weird. Embrace the awkward. Instead, step into that moment and begin to bring Jesus to the center of these conversations. Because it's when we talk about what Jesus is doing that we more fully experience what Jesus is is doing, and we start to really become the family in faith that he has called us to. Because this is the highest calling that we have. We are to be about Christian community. It's how we're to be known to the world. On the last night that Jesus had with his disciples, before he was betrayed and a day before he died, in the Gospel of John, it records that after the Last Supper, that he looked at the disciples, and this is what he said to them. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, this thing we're talking about, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So that is our goal for these next couple of months. We're going to be talking about how we can be moving forward in true, authentic Christian community in order that we can grow into becoming the, the women and the men that God has created us to be. So I'm going to invite Trevor and Tiffany to come up and lead us through the rest of the service. As they do that, I want to just kind of take some time to reflect. This is the beginning of the year. You're setting new habits. You're setting new priorities. You're setting new routines. And that's great. I actually encourage that. I know a lot of people kind of mock that, like, oh, New Year's resolutions. I'm not into resolutions per se, but obviously I believe in life change. And I think this is a great time to consider the, the things that are most important and make changes. I would encourage you to take the concept of Christian community seriously. Yes, I want to see you in one of our formal small groups. You should also have, just be collecting friends as you go that you can talk to and that you can dream with and that you can reflect with to say, this is what God is doing. And so let's pray together that God would lead us in this. Father, it's an honor and a privilege anytime we gather in your name and we know that you're here, we know that your spirit is always in this room when we sing and when we pray. So God, I pray that your spirit would be leading us in this, that the anointing of your spirit would be poured on our heads, that it would drip down our faces and onto our clothes, that we would be covered in that anointing. I pray that we would experience the replenishment of rain on dry ground, that we would grow in seeing how you've called us into that through Christian community and unity. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we fall short, when we sequester ourselves, when we pull out of community because we feel like there are more pressing needs. And instead, draw us back to this, this the depth that we find in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.